Thanks, Josh. I, 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 don't, I don't know how entertaining I'll be. Um, I, I think it's always helpful for people to get an idea who's up yakking at them. So my background and why maybe I was involved in that little bit of short-term rental stuff is I, I have been a real estate attorney in the city of Lincoln for a long time, um, in about 30 years. When I was active in the legal practice in the real estate world, I did everything real estate. So the real estate business is a lot of fun because it does a little bit of everything. So when you have real estate clients, you end up doing um, employment law, business law, contract law, and getting involved in deals and stuff. So I, I loved real estate. <clears throat> I hated family law, divorce, all that kind of stuff in law school. Um, the, the reason why I think I ended up loving real estate so much is that if you do good deals, everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. And in, a, and in a family law situation, no one's happy. They're always mad at the attorney. They're mad at everybody. Nothing ever goes right. And in a deal, a good deal, seller's happy, buyer's happy, everybody's happy, lender's happy. So that's why I love real estate. Um, it's, a, it's a tremendous industry to be involved in. Um, then about, God, it's probably been eight or nine years ago. <clears throat> so how many, of, how many of you have worked with an attorney? Okay. If you're in real estate, you probably should at some point in time. Um, but attorneys bill in tenth of an hour increments. Most, some bill quarter, some third, but I always build in a tenth of a tenth of an hour, six minutes. So I got really, really tired of measuring my life in six minute increments. So I had an opportunity <clears throat> because um, one of my clients in Lincoln um, ended up buying a home building company in Omaha. Some of my other partners are in the title business, branded up, charter title. If you need a phenomenal title company to do everything that needs to be done in real estate, charter title. And if you need two of the best people to be able to work with, they're here, Justine and Kelsey over there. Hopefully you will work with them. Um, and so anyway, uh, charter wanted to grow and ended up, I ended up helping open the Omaha office. And I also helped open my law firm's uh, law office up in Omaha as well. And the plan was over two or three years, I'd back out of the um, legal practice and then I'd be full-time in both the title company business and then the home building business. Well, the, the home building business in Omaha uh, went so well that um, the, the land developers up in Omaha weren't selling us any land, any lots. So we had to go start doing land development in Omaha to be able to keep up with the demands for the home building company, which is kind of what I did for a lot of my clients over the years in town. Now, every market is a little bit different on how they go about doing things. So I've, I've got my own attorneys that I work with, different engineering firms up in, up in Omaha. And, and that's really what I've been focused on. So I call myself now a recovering attorney um, all, of, all of my partners in the various businesses like the fact that I've got the attorney background because every once in a while you'll see me put that hat on and go beat up on people over it or with 
Josh on the short-term rental, pulling some of that stuff back out and going and dealing with it. Um, but for the most part, <clears throat> an attorney's focus on a transaction and deal structure is different than an entrepreneur and a, a deal maker. And so it's very, very difficult from my experience to be able to do both well at the same time um, because it's, you, you approach things pretty much differently on what you're doing. So, um, so that, that's, that's really what I've been, I've been doing lately. Um, so I see friends in the back. Um, I'll have a lot of time for you to be able to ask me some questions. So I want to give you a little bit of, little bit of different areas that you might be able to ask me questions on and stuff. So real estate, in my mind, 101. What, did, what, did I, what, did, what have I learned over 30 years in representing clients and putting deals together? So Josh and I were talking a little bit beforehand. What I, what I, I've told you that I love this business because great deals work for everybody. But the other, one of the reasons for that, and one of the reasons you're all here is this, this, this business is all about relationships. And you cannot be successful in this business without investing in relationships. And, and the more relationships that you have across the spectrum of things, the better off you are. Uh, because you, if you have relationships, if you have an issue that you don't know about, you can call somebody up that might have dealt with it. So you can, you can grow your knowledge base simply by the relationships that you have with other people. So um, for, for relationships, I, I also put in relationships, not just the, you know, the other ones, but also a team. And whether you have any kind of formal structure, that team with partners that bring different expertise, or whether you have identified people that you trust that you can call on for advice. So... Um, does anybody want to volunteer who's on their team? You look like you want to talk. You got uh, different areas of construction on my team, like painters and drywallers and uh, plumbers. Okay. So it's not specifically an individual, but it's companies that are have done me well in the past. Feel like they charge me a fair price and. And, and so your ability to go do the next deal is because you have confidence in the people that you've grown relationships with over a period of time that you can count on to be there. And you don't have to guess about it. And you know that you don't have to work out every last deal before you can go pull the trigger on a deal. Gives you that extra level of confidence. For my deals, I leave a lockbox on the house and I give my contractors the code to say, and 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 you like doing business that way, don't you? So I, I mentioned that I think another good person on your team is to have some legal counsel. Um, in this particular, you know, scrappy group, you're generally going to deal with real estate that is likely to have some level of hair on it from time to time. And it's really good to be able to have a 
a relationship with, as opposed to just randomly going through the yellow pages um, and finding somebody, an attorney, even if they're listed in the real estate section, they may or may not know, in my opinion, what they're really doing because their level of experience is pretty low. So this is another good group to network and find out who those people on that team, on that in the legal world, that you can call them up, give it to them, and and you know attorneys, um, attorneys uh, really don't like to. They're in that in that profession because they don't like risk. So when people like you call an attorney and say, I'd like you to talk to me about this, a lot of them are really kind of afraid to go out too far because they don't want to get sued that they told you something that you relied on. So again, partly that is developing a relationship for me. So um, when I was actively practicing, I had clients with a pretty wide perspective or, or spectrum of how they wanted to use me. So some wanted me to hold their hand all the way through the end. They spent a lot of money on me, more than they probably should have, but they wanted, wanted it to be detailed and thorough. Then I'd call you kind of, kind of got the people in the middle, and then, and then you got people in the back like they're Steve Shampoo. Raise your hand, Steve. <laughs> uh, who's, who's also now one of my partners. But a lot of times he'd just go out there and do. <laughs> and then he'd get into trouble, he'd come back, now nah, what do I do? So, and I'd tell him, damn it, why didn't you come talk to me a little bit beforehand? So uh, th that, that's just partly you know, understanding how you like to work with other people, what your expectations are. Um, and for, for me, working with clients, um, I always tried to tailor my legal practice to meet their needs as, as best I could. Um, and, and sometimes that's easier, harder to do than others, but that was really kind of the objective. And I, you know, th there isn't anything secret about that. I, I think all of us do that in our professions when we work with people is because we're in the relationship business. And it's not about telling people you know everything and you're gonna make them do it your way. It's about listening to them and to the extent that you can meet their needs and objectives you, you do what they want you to do because that's how you get the next deal, the next relationship done. Um, so as I made that transition from lawyer to title guy to emerging builder to recovering attorney, one, one of the other uh, really good things that happened to me up in the Omaha market was my oldest son who's here, Ben, cat's over there. Um, uh, if you're an attorney and you have a son that's a, like a wild ass entrepreneur, it can scare the shit out of you. <laughs> so, uh, so just hopefully I won't embarrass him too much. Probably not. He'll he'll get his chance to get even someday with me. So two two stories on that. So, um, in in at one point in time, I was on the school board here in Lincoln for two years. Uh, ran three times, won once, lost two elections. Long story, I, afterward we can talk about that someday. But I, I get a call from the principal at the junior high where he was at, and they busted him. What was he doing? 
selling candy out of the locker between, <laughs> between class. Oh, that was a big deal. I said, well, what do you want me to do about it? Follow your rules. So they, they busted him. They stole all of his stuff, and I just went away. But um, when I got up to Omaha, him and, him and one of his buddies from uh, Creighton started working on a rental portfolio in Midtown. And um, it, was, it was really fun trying to give him some advice um, and even probably more of a wild card than most any of my attorneys in terms of what risk he was willing to take to go forward. And now, now he's, he's probably crossing mostly over in that risk reward avenue on what he's willing to do because he has stuff to risk. You know, early on you don't have that much. So um, that, that's been a kind of an eye-opening experience for me. And now <clears throat> he and I and Steve are doing a number of development project deals together as a part of that. Um, because in, in the real estate world, so um, particularly in the, in the marketplace that most of this group is working in, how do you find stuff? What's the supply? Where are you going to get your next one? And so the challenge for the real estate industry and what we're doing over the next several years, and maybe for a long time, I'd be good to hear some of your ideas on what's going to happen, is that if you build new stuff, that gives you a competitive advantage in the market today because you're able to create your own product. Um, and so um, we've been working, we've been working on, on doing that, at, you know, still have supply chain problems and all that kind of stuff, but that, that's been a theory that the three of us been, have been working on for the last three years up in Omaha in particular. So how, how many of you are familiar with uh, BTR, build to rent? You heard that term? Okay, a, a, a handful of people. Um, have you heard of, you know, uh, in Washington, D.C., where they're, they're talking about not wanting the big Wall Street firms to get involved in the rental business? Okay, that, that's kind of a direct reaction to that, to this, to this area. So that's what build, build to rent, my term, there's a, there's a number of different terms, but it is where you build an entire neighborhood of single-family detached homes and rent it out. Um, it's also called a horizontal apartment. There's some different um, terms that, that the industry has established. But it was really, when we started looking at this three, four years ago and talking about it, um, it was interesting because we went to some conferences around the country and you talked to the people. H how, did, how did this industry get started? So in the downturn, last one we had, where everybody foreclosed everybody out, they had massive single-family portfolios down in Phoenix and Las Vegas. And the, the Wall Street boys, the hedge fund guys, said, huh, we got a lot of money. Let's go buy them all. And, and they didn't buy them with the idea that they were going to rent them and create a whole industry. They bought them with the idea, well, crap. We're buying these things at 50 cents on the dollar. And, and in every market we've ever had, it's gonna come back. And, and then once they bought them, they said, well, 
doesn't make sense to just let them sit vacant. Let's run them out. And what they, in, what they ended up finding out was that with the new technologies and their ability to manage the projects more efficiently, that these single-family detached rentals were um, a really good investment for them. And, I mean, just imagine the amount of, I mean, these, these big REITs and stuff are controlling tens of thousands of homes. Um, at one point in the Phoenix market, single-family existing homes, 18% of them were being sold to investors. And I, I think that's a statistic that's holding true nationally right now. It is, it is a dramatic change. Uh, I mean, how, how many of, what's the split here between flippers and, and long-term rental holds? How, how many are flippers? Okay. How many are hold long-term rentals? Okay. Endangered species. So at, at probably not in our market, um, but there's a lot of big Wall Street money chasing the opportunity in the, in the rental industry. And, and at these conferences, these guys talk about, um, <coughs> so these single family homes, the industry has traditionally been uh, mom and pops, people like you, own somewhere between 10, 20, somebody gets really big, they get 100. Um, and the institutional investors, Wall Street hedge funds, pension funds, uh, like a year or two ago, their share of that market was about two to three percent of all the that single-family detached rentals were owned by those folks. Anybody want to take a guess at what their share of the market they want to be at in the next? I don't know. Soon they're working hard at it. Twenty-five to thirty percent. So the amount of money getting thrown at uh, build-to-rent communities is pretty phenomenal, um, and it you know it probably makes it, it makes some sense. And uh, you know even more so now with look at what's happening with the construction costs and people's ability to be able to buy a new home is significantly constrained. So I think rental properties will continue to probably grow in terms of market share and what they're doing. Um, so so it's, it's kind of fast. I mean, here's an old stodgy industry, right? Single family homes. And now you got all this. I mean, it is crazy Wall Street money chasing things. Um, what was what was that cap rate on those portfolios? Four, four percent cap rates on single-family rental portfolios in different markets. It's phenomenal. I mean, who could imagine that kind of a cap rate on a single-family rental project? So, um, the three of us have got three neighborhoods in Omaha. When we go out and we develop a neighborhood for legacy homes, single-family lots, and we've been trying to find in those neighborhoods a location to go do a build to rent. So we're getting ready. Steve, we're going to start building in May? <laughs> yeah? May, <laughs> okay. 
it's it's fun it's fun working with partners. So Steve's primarily, I mean, he builds he builds a great product and he knows how to get that stuff done. So it's been fun having a partner. We've been going back and forth about when are we actually going to get stuff done? And it's just a real challenge in the in the industry right now. Um, yeah, question. Um, I have, uh, no, there's, we've heard a rumor that the, one of the, one of the companies that is in the BTR, BTR space out of Minnesota bought a portfolio, but I've not been able to track that down. What I can tell you is that a big, um, build to rent builder out of the Columbus, Ohio area called Redwood, and their product is uh, eight to 12 unit attached slab on grade row product, row house product. <coughs> They've got several projects in uh, the Des Moines market. Um, we're, we're selling them, I'm selling them uh, one project in Omaha, um, made sense to move a product and they're really after me. I've got a couple projects here in Lincoln that they're after me to sell them a site for them to go do that product. So. It's getting closer to, to being in our market. Um, you know, how many have heard the term flyover state? So we're the, we're the Midwest, people just fly over us. They don't really know what we are. Um, then you got the smile, which is the coast, Texas, Texas, and then Denver, you know, the eyes and mouth and stuff. Um, and and if, you, if you think about it, you look at the price appreciation on products and the growth, we don't have that same level of growth. Well, my argument when I'm pitching to those people on our products, what do we have here though? <coughs> Stability. I mean, we didn't lose half our value like Phoenix and Vegas did. So um, there's trade-offs on all of that kind of stuff. Um, so, so good question. Um, It'll come. I mean, the, the problem is, is they've got so many billions of dollars chasing stuff that, um, you know, they're going to have to go to bigger markets. But so you're kind of getting there, I think, as a follow-up to that is, is a potential exit strategy for you guys selling to a reason, or is that just too unsure whether Steve never sells anything. <laughs> Can I embarrass you one more time, Steve? <laughs> Okay, so so when I'm a, when I was a baby lawyer, at I was a, a baby lawyer at Klein Williams Law Firm, and one of my jobs was to foreclose mortgages. How many of you know what a mortgage is? It's not a deed of trust. <coughs> it's a, a deed of trust has a trustee, and when you foreclose, the trustee sells. When you have a mortgage, you get to go to the courtroom and have a judge do all this stuff. So. Um, when I was a baby lawyer, that's what I did. We did it for American Charter, if those remember that old ones. That was one of my clients that I did all that work for. So if I had the worst property, the worst, that I thought nobody in their right mind would ever buy, who'd show up at the sheriff's sale to buy it? Steve. And, and the fun thing that I really, but this tells you about his philosophy and strategy on he still owns those. And, and the amount of money that he's made over the, I mean, look, look at the amount of money he's made over the last two years from the price appreciation of holding them. <coughs> so, 
So to the extent that you're in a position where you can continue to control and own and hold the real estate long term. So, so the question is, what, what, what exit are you looking for? Because that I think is, is really, I mean, we struggle with it from time to time amongst the three of us. What's the purpose of the exit? I mean, why sell and pay a whole bunch of tax unless you have a place to go roll it into? Um, and so that, that's really kind of the question. What's your strategy? And that's as varied. I mean, every one of you has to decide what makes sense for you and why are you in real estate? Um, what are you trying to accomplish with it? And when do you want to exit and cash out and do things? So um, we, we haven't gotten that far yet. So I think Steve has convinced my son never sell. So. They'll never sell, I don't think. Does anybody else have a question? They want. I'm, I'm going to have more question and answer where you can just ask me anything. Um, so, how much, how much, how much reading do you guys do on current trends, and where do you where do you try to get your information from? in the industry? How do you stay current? I mean, all this stuff that's going on. Yeah. So, so what's, what else is, what else is new and intriguing to people here that's coming in the industry? What was that? Crypto. Yeah. I, crypto. Crypto intrigues me. I don't know anything about it. So I, I'm looking, I, I like watching what's going to happen in the real estate world with crypto. That looks like it's getting some met. Um, the whole blockchain piece. Um, and related to that blockchain piece, um, my son Ben and I were just, uh, was it last month? I think last month or within the last several weeks. Um, there's some plat interesting platforms picking up or getting set up out there. And I, I don't understand the legal rules yet. And I, I, I'm gonna probably have to put my lawyer hat back on and go dive in a little deeper. But um, basically, you know, the, the whole ability to go out and market and sell properties and have multiple ownership is a really big problem in our industry because of the securities loss compliance and are you selling, you know, an investment and then people get sued over doing there's a lot of legal complexity when you bring in other people into your deal. Um, but some of these new platforms are creating the ability to buy and sell interest in real estate online and some through blockchain. And then the, the, one, the one, there's one out of Florida that I just found just launched that's actually selling a vacation rental home in Florida in $1 increments. The, the uh, app is here, H-E-R-E. -E. If you guys look at it, you guys take a look at it and see what you think about what's going on with that. Intriguing to me. Um, and, and one of the reasons I say that is this group here, you guys are workers. I mean, you're out there getting it done. So the, the number of people that want good investments, that look to other people to help create them, will look to you. 
And that's always kind of the question about whether you want to broaden your scope to be able to put deals and projects together that would uh, maybe be attractive for other people to do. And in the past, it was incredibly expensive to deal with an attorney to deal with the compliance issues. And, and what I'm seeing now, we'll see if this tracks out, is that some of these new technology platforms may lower the cost of being able to be compliant and position and market your properties in a broader fashion. So that, that's an area, if you have interest in that, that's something that you should probably um, pay a little bit of attention to and, and follow a little bit. Hmm. What else you want me to talk about? Yeah, there's a question. After what all you said, but the new laws are changing where we can't market an interest in a property. Oh, yeah, I, I got a heads up on this. Can you touch on that whole situation? Okay, there's apparently three bills pending. I had to pull this off. I'm not paying that much attention, but the, the one that did get passed, the other two are not passing. I looked at the legislative record. I don't think they're going to pass this session. But the one that, that did was uh, LB 892, which basically says for the flippers, if you have a contract that you own on a property, you can't publicly market for sale, whatever exactly that means, okay? <laughs> unless you do it through a real estate agent. So this one, in my opinion, got through because the real estate lobby is pretty strong. They, they spend money, they pay a lot of dues, they get really good help, and they get things like this through. So, um, and I think they got really mad at people kind of sidestepping them and going around them in real estate deals and them not earning a commission on it. So what, 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 what's your plan on how to deal with it? Well, the easy plan is just keeping a license. That's the easy plan, but I don't know what public marketing, what you just said, I don't know what that means. Can I call a friend and ask him to invest in a property? Is that illegal now? I don't know what that means. Yeah, I agree. So you've got the answer? Good. So I, I, I think the easy one is to find a real estate agent, a friendly one that'll do it on some kind of small, small fixed fee. What's that? It would be interesting to see how the real estate commission requires agents to act in that transaction. So they require them to be like, obviously they're fiduciaries. So, so I, I think you should pay attention because the realtors and the real estate commission didn't go through all the effort to get this law passed without them willingness to go make an example out of some people. Yeah. And so the enforcement of this will come from other people in the real estate community, other agents that know what you're doing, and they'll make a referral and they're gonna find a half dozen or so people to go make an example, make a record, and remember, don't go to the real estate commission without being represented by counsel because you will lose 
you likely lose with legal counsel, but at least you even the odds a little bit. But the frustrating thing for me all of the time representing people up there was, here you have the state of Nebraska with all of its tax dollars coming down on you. So it's not a fair fight. So the, so the best thing is, is I think, to find a way to deal as best you can in a legal fashion with this. So let, let me, how, how many are you, of you are realtors or have, or have a, okay, well, yeah, but it never, yeah, I always wade into these things anyway. So, so the real estate agent commissions, all of the sales is dramatically changing. Technology is having a significant impact on agents and commissions. And I think you're going to continue to see compression on how much commission and fees that agents can extract out of transactions. And so I think you'll find people that are much more willing as an agent to, to be licensed and handle something like this at a reasonable fixed fee. That that'd be my that's the best thought I have at this point on how to deal with it. A quick follow-up question. So if I get a property under contract from a realtor and I decide to sell it to another realtor, is that an You're assigning the existing contract? No. But I I market it to another realtor. Can I can I market it to another realtor with a phone call? I think you have one of the, well, I think you have one of them sign off on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the argument. But no, I, I, if, if that other real estate agent is, is buying, um, I, I think that you've got to run it through them. Because I, I, mean, I don't know how you, you market without doing something public. I mean, Drop business cards on sidewalks? I, I mean, I don't know what you do. Um, I, I don't know where they came up with that term. I, I, don't, yeah, I, don't get it. I can understand a mass email would be public. So call the real estate commission up and ask that question. Actually, they, they, have, they have very helpful people generally up there. And if you pose that question, they, they are likely to be able to help give you their answer. It may or may not be accurate, but at least you'll get their answer, their interpretation about how they plan to, to um, implement that provision. When does it come into effect? It was signed by the governor on March 3rd. So um, usually I think it's, what's that? Six. So Justine says it's six months. So there's a time period from when it's finally adopted to becoming effective. So six months. September 1, on it. Peter. Yeah. Do you think a byproduct of this bill is going to be that all of a sudden it's going to be the opposite effect where now basically a real estate agent makes 7%? Well, do you think people are going to start Don't ever pay a real estate agent 7%. Well, whatever, you know. But do you think people are going to start now saying, okay, now that you guys have done this to us, we're no longer going to just say whatever you want to make. It's, we're, they're going to start negotiating it down all the time? Do you think that's going to be a byproduct of this bill? 
agents already significantly negotiating their commissions if you have enough leverage. What I'm saying is if you have somebody who wants to sign a contract and they and, and, and they may pay very little to do that, now all of a sudden you have to have a real estate agent involved. So they're like, okay, well, this is what I'm going to pay you. And then, then they just, I don't know, try to find like an agent or, or, or is it going to be something like where the agent will, they'll now be an agent basically that will handle a lot of those because they just want to have the easy and everybody else will still be left out because they find the agent that's friendly to them and that agent will do it for a flat fee. That, that I think is where the real estate agent marketplace is going, which is in order to make the kind of money that they're making, their, their transaction volume is going to have to about quadruple. And they will have a lot of people that work for them, these real estate teams, right? right? And people on the teams will have people that have their agent license experience, but they don't want to go hustle. They don't, they don't, they don't want to work that hard. Right. And so they're very happy with a paycheck. And, and so there will be a team, I predict, that will be willing to step in this area. And, and, and maybe someone in this room will want to create a team to do that. Because, <clears throat> so let me give you my view on, I mean, so, so it's a lost leader. There's no real, I mean, why did the realtors go after that? There's no money in this thing. Not for them. No, for nobody. I mean, you know, really, I mean, it's very small amount of money, depending on, on what you get on flip. I, so, so there's money in the in for the flipper. So why did they go after it? I, I don't I don't understand what that part is. But if somebody went after this as a targeted market and provided some level of expertise, um, I, I think they could make a go of it. Right. Well, I think somebody saw that a flipper makes this much because they put all this money into it. I was talking to Megan, and she made a ton of money on a flip deal. Well, she put a lot of time into it. <laughs> Don't this person I know talked about making money, and then so what I think is so they, so so let, let's let, in, in, so so you should celebrate making money. Yeah. Right. Because there's no reason to go work this hard and do this stuff unless you're going to make some money, and and you know you take enough risk on in these deals that you better make more money than some people might think fair because how many deals aren't you going to make money on? And you go chase and do a lot of stuff. And so this industry should never apologize for making money. People in this room earn every penny of it with what they do and the risks they take. So um, I don't think we need to apologize for any of that kind of stuff. Any other questions? Yeah. Would violations of this bill go in front of the real estate commission, or is that only for you know agents who have potentially? I didn't. I didn't look at what the. Uh, I. I think. I think the real estate commission can bring people in front of them. Bas basically, what happens is is that um, you're doing the unauth. You're doing. You're doing realtor activities. You're a real estate agent without a license. So that's what they bring you up on because it says only a licensed agent may market and sell these contracts. So if you're not a licensed agent and you market and sell these contracts, the real estate commission will send you a letter, cease and desist, may bring you up. I don't know all the penalties if you're charged with doing things. I just don't remember off the top of my head, but that's how it works. The real estate commission is the enforcement agency on this.
Anybody else have any questions for me? Yeah. Oh. You've done a lot of real estate transactions. What's, what's your favorite real estate deal you've ever done? My, today? Any time in your life. Oh, man. That, that's a, that's a, that's a, so, so my, my, this is probably my favorite on the lawyer side. So I'm working on a big deal and, um, you know, us attorneys in Lincoln are really dumb compared to the New York City lawyers. Those guys are smart. And so the, one of the, one of the better time we're negotiating loan paperwork, you know, not that, that stuff that you guys don't like to read that just goes on and on and on and on and on. So I always viewed that if, if I had a client that said, I, I read through all of it and tried to reasonably understand it. So I'm reading through this one and it had this paragraph in there that made absolutely no sense in the context of the transaction. So I, I, I called the other attorney up and I, I played dumb and I said, what does this mean? Just to see, can you explain this to me? Couldn't explain it. Could not explain it. And then I proceeded to explain it to him on why it was, what the language meant and why it had no business being in this documentation for this transaction. So that was fun. Um, in, in terms of, of real estate deals, I, I, I think current deals are always the most fun. I mean, I, I've got a, we've got a number of different deals going on right now that are really fun to put together. So, um, I'm at the, right at the tail end. Um, Steve and I and another partner bought a uh, franchise called Epcon. It, it builds uh, 55 plus age targeted homes. And if you think about that product in our market, there really isn't anybody building that age targeted product here. If you have people, my, so I'm the target demographic for that particular product. Um, what do you do? Well, my friends, they go buy a townhouse, but there'll be other people in it. So it's, there's really no kind of area in particular that that pays attention to. So um, the first community in, in Lincoln will be the courtyards at Prairie Village North, which will be on the, there's some existing townhomes out there um, right on the north side of Adams. This is the 20-acre parcel that was supposed to be Menards, just south of the Walmart site, that will have 119 of these units and have a clubhouse and pool and stuff. So that deal was fun because I did that deal originally 15 years ago to get the, the Walmart sited in there, the commercial development, all that, and now it's back around in a little bit different perspective. Now, so, so the, the funny thing is, so... Uh, the covenants on there prohibit residential property. Okay, so Walmart is the one that I've got to go get permission to say, can I build residential homes there? What did Walmart say I had to do in order to build residential homes there? I'd, I, I have to put up a privacy fence between the back of my homes and their parking lot. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I have to screen my homes from their parking lot. I, yeah. I, who, who, who knew, you know, who, who knew that, that? So, so I love probably more of my 
recent ones. Um, and as you get older, you have a hard time remembering your other ones that you've done anyway. Yep. How do you see the title insurance business changing with blockchain, especially like as it you know, makes it easier to do title searches, kind of lowers the risk overall when you have everything in a system everyone trusts? I, I won't I won't I won't see it in my lifetime and I doubt you'll see it in your lifetime. And 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 the reason well the, the only way you'll see it is is it so so the current title system is government owned, managed, run, and control. So this, the legal system says you, you record everything in a government office and they're the ones that are the official depository of all the records. So that won't go away with any blockchain. And so the only official legal record is gonna be those records. Now, it would make a ton of sense so this is how it could happen. Let's, Nebraska is a relatively small state. What if our state said, we're gonna lead the nation in revolutionizing our, our real estate records and title standards, and we're gonna convert everything we have to blockchain system? That could happen. But what do you think the likelihood that government is nimble enough to completely overhaul our current record system and adopt blockchain. So I don't think in the context you ask, ask it will happen. Now this is what I think will happen and, and I'm the, the property that I mentioned, my son and I said, well we need to go buy that, that interest in that blockchain property that they're selling. So <clears throat> this is where I think the opportunity is but the opportunity will be in the private sector, not the public side, which will be if you have a property and you put it into an LLC, that goes into, and that's how this company out of Pennsylvania or Ohio does it, and they make all the recordings in the public record that the LLC is now the owner of that property. And then they set up a completely separate blockchain system that they use to transfer control and do all of the transactions with the property outside in the blockchain. So. That I think could work, but will lenders do it? I mean, you know, this industry is pretty conservative. People don't like to change very quickly. So I think that, so I think it should. I think it's a system that probably makes a lot of sense, but there's a lot of questions. And I think for it to be practical, a state is going to have to create new law to provide that our real estate records will be maintained by, via blockchain for it to be fully implemented. So th those are great, I mean, those are great questions to pay attention to and watch. And it's that change in the technology piece on what we can do on how we can transfer title that um, creates some of the technology and efficiencies that might shave some cost out of the um, transaction for all of us. So it's not here yet. I don't think I'll see it, but pay attention and. Um, ask good questions, and if you see an opportunity to, to do it, try it. Yeah. I hate to be a dead horse with this bill, but I feel like I still don't have any idea what it's saying other than, like, how do you move past 
agent then market the thing that you have under contract. But most agents and most brokers won't allow agents to publicly market. Like they're not going to list that contract on the MLS. They're not going to put it out on Facebook, right? So they're just going to tell agents, you're not allowed to do this. <laughs> and like, well, what is the definition of publicly market, and how would you find that out? And you ask the realtor commission, they're going to say, yeah, you just can't do it. You can't talk about it, even to my friends. So, so, so tell me how you're, what you're doing today that's going to violate, what are you, how you're doing your deal? Um, like, I get something under contract, okay. and then I send emails to a buyer's list. Is that publicly marketed? Yes. If I talk to my dad and I'm like, hey, dad, I got this good deal. You want to buy it? Because I don't have all the money for it. Is that publicly marketing? No. My opinion at this point is as good as anybody's opinion, right? I, I, I don't know. You just have to do it and see who gets slapped down and then not do whatever the slap down was? Um, I, is that step one? Just do it anyway? I mean, th th this, this would be great questions to ask the Real Estate Commission on how do they... How do they interpret it and how are they going to apply it? Because it's their bill or the realtors, I don't know who. Call the, call the uh, state legislature that put this together and say, look, what does that mean? Well, yeah, the I've got the final bill that passed. And, and that's, so, so I, I don't, I agree with you. The problem is I don't think it's very clear, but what I, what I can tell you is, is that having over the years heard people, real estate agents complain about flippers selling property with ever, without ever going into title or paying anything, they, they somehow think that's unfair. And they think they should have some part of that deal. And so that's what they've tried to do here. Um, and I, I, I think you're probably right, which is this is going to scare people from doing things. But the, the bigger question is, the, the practical question is, I mean, the brokers aren't going to take these listings, right? And, and maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's part of the strategy for a group like this would be to try to get some listed with a broker and then go to the real estate commission and say they're not selling our stuff. What are we supposed to do? Yeah, I, I have more questions at this point than I have answers, and I don't think anybody's going to be able to give a definitive answer at this point. And so you've got to find avenues, and, and ideally there's avenues that cost less money to be able to find out what that's going to be like. So those are the places that I would go poke some, would be real estate commission and a broker or two on saying, are you, are you willing to list this for me? and see what you get back as feedback. And this bill doesn't say anything against assigning. You're still allowed to assign contracts. Um, yeah, but, you, but who are you going to assign it to? Someone that I don't talk to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just randomly find them on the street, right? <laughs> yeah, th that, that I think is the problem. Yeah, there's nothing that they can prohibit the assignment. You have the right to do that. It's your contract. It's just that... They're saying you've got to hire an attorney to find out and market who's who you can assign it to or who's going to so do that. So, buyer, if she has a buyer's list bill and it's just a 
I, I, I like that as a thought. I mean, if you, if you develop an investor group, right, that have, that, have, that have basically said, find me these deals. I mean, I think the Real Estate Commission says creating that list is public, that it's a public list. Um, again, come up with that idea and then ask the real estate, because they're the ones that are going to have to decide these things. So, so I've, I've just set up a group in Omaha called Welcome Home Coalition. And it's a group of, I'm, I'm trying to grab members into it. So the realtors, developers, builders, all that kind of thing. And, you know, we'd sit around at our land development meetings complaining about what's being done to us by the city. And they're, you know, taking a lot of, so we got one started. It's a little bit of a long way, but... Um, <clears throat> So we've hired two lobbyists for us. Those two lobbyists uh, cost uh, $10,000 a month um, to take that then plus expenses. So you might not need two. You maybe can do something little. You can, I mean, so, so it depends what the goal is. If you're hiring a lobbyist for a very specific project, lower cost. But if you really want to get to the point where you know, the realtors are where they've got hired guns or, you know, in, in, in the day when um, my law firm represented the home builders or the local realtors, you know, we were on retainer and we went out and we kept them apprised and advocated for them and told them how to work the political process. So the challenge always is the money. And um, while you can do, and, and it's like that group up in Omaha, I mean, I could have done a lot for, and not get paid. But the problem is, is that if you're not paid for what you do, it's really hard to get motivated to go do very much. So I think for organizations to be effective, you end up needing to write checks to hire people to go get stuff done for you. So my guess is bare minimum to make it worthwhile would be 50 grand to go take on a specific project. And if you wanted to set up an ongoing annual kind of organization that had some lot some some horsepower on the lobbying side you're probably looking more like two 200 to 250 thousand a year yeah yeah and and so you know there are there are a whole so there's a there's a couple well this industry has always been relatively fractured in terms of a variety of organizations that um, represent or purport to represent managers and home builders or builders and all. Is, is Rioma still around? Okay. So Rioma is one that had a lot of potential, but it's never been really um, recognized. So I think there's room in the market to create something. And the other thing, and, and you've got a whole lot of stuff coming down. The, the Senator Wayne out of Omaha and Senator Hansen and Lincoln are coming after your industry, after this industry with both guns blaring. 
So I think there is value in creating a lobbying organization that pays attention to landlord landlord issues in rental property. You know, the, the government agencies have unlimited funds to go advocate for the tenants, but we have to pay for it out of our pocket. So yeah, I, I, I think it'd be a good idea. It's hard to get them going. We done? I'll, I can yak all night long if you want me to. <laughs> Anybody else? Okay, well, thanks for letting me chat with you tonight. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll hang around it if you have a question you want to pose to me that you didn't want to pose publicly, just come up and say something. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone, thanks, Peter, again. That was awesome.